Welcome to the Remote Teacher Podcast, a podcast interviewing experts in remote communities to share with you. Thanks for following us. Today we'll be interviewing Carl Merrison. Carl was a remote Aboriginal student in his time during school. Then he went on to work as an Aboriginal education officer in the public education system before being employed as a Clontarf officer to support young Aboriginal males in their education journey. Carl was nominated for the Australian of the Year Local Hero Award in 2016 for his work in the school as a football coach and as a pool lifeguard. So let's hear from him today. Welcome, Carl. Can you tell us a little bit about your life so far and uh, in your own words? Grew up in Walls Creek, done my schooling there up to year 10, because I don't know, year 11 and 12. Moved on from there to do a bit of TAFE courses, Argyle working for a bit, and then, yeah, got into the education system. Ended up with Plantoff through Mr. Jared Nish and himself, came down, had a bit of a chat with him. Great words, words sort of persuaded me to, you know, roll over from the school because I was working at the school for five years as an AO. Stuff, what he told me what Clontarf's about was pretty unique mm-hmm. in their program and that's yeah, why I rolled over to Clontarf. So with all that experience in remote communities, um, what strengths do you see in the Aboriginal boys you mentored? Resilience, I'd say, is pretty much one of the keys, resilience and just day-to-day life skills. Can you share a success story from your time mentoring young Aboriginal men? Um, there's plenty of success stories. Sam, Patricia Seaton, you, Cedric Cox's, you know, your Shane McAdams, you know, the list goes on. For know, people Frank- who don't know, they're the boys who have had success in the AFL. Yes. Um, your Francis Watsons and that, but you've also got success stories like your, you know, your boys, you can get them into employment and, you know, trying to trade and ball a maker and all of that. Got a little family now, owns cars, you know, while a job, you know, there's lots of success stories. So how is the Clontarf program unique? In what ways do you support young people that they perhaps wouldn't be supported if Clontarf wasn't there. I say the program's pretty unique because you get that more of a one-on-one time and, you know, for people who don't really know where the boys come from, you end up learning how hard it is for them back at home or, you know, when they're hungry or whatnot and you learn the real reasons why they come to school and that's just to hang and be around you because it's their safe zone and they're comfortable being around you and you know you're teaching them the everyday life-to-life skills what they need to survive Mm. so it's mentoring in in more than just attendance it's Mm. kind of you're being that male role model what do you say to people who see the program as special treatment for aboriginal boys them getting more support than the rest well, I, I call them blockers. They're not willing to open their eyes and mind and really see what the program is about. In what ways do you support your clients in class? In class, it's just guidance and, you know, wanting them to have a go and supporting in whatever way they want, really, in the classes. 
So how do you support teachers then? Pretty much when you get into the classroom, you try not to turn into an AL and become the behaviour, you know, mm-hmm. behaviour guide because that's pretty much what generally every teacher wants you to do. But once you learn your role properly, you know, you can support the teacher in understanding why the kids aren't willing to pick the pen up and write because they're not understanding what the teacher's telling them and that, just simple things like that. That's really powerful because I think that's one of the things that um, teachers in remote communities or with a Clontuff Academy don't quite always understand that you're not there just to follow up the boys every time they're naughty and, you know, chase mm. them around and bring them back to class, that you are that mentor. Do you also act as a um, mediator between or an advocate for the boys? How do you share this information with teachers? When I say ARO, it's no disrespect to them, but you know, the, the teachers and our boss and that, and we're there to support the boys and guide mm-hmm. them. And you know, it's a two way thing. You know, you, you are mediating and you're trying to teach the teacher if you've been in the role for long enough and you know, you know why you know, the boy's not doing it because he don't understand it or, you know, it might be a bit too hard or the shame factor and, you know, there's so much that comes into play. So you see the Clontuff role as um, explaining the barriers to the boy's education? Yeah. And um, providing strategies for the teachers to use rather than you being in there doing the strategies for the teachers, upskilling. Yeah. What do you think teachers need to do to get the most out of the Clontaff boys? What are some common things you've seen teachers do? Respect happening. You know, sometimes you have to come down to their level and get out. When I say come down to their level, but, you know, have an idea where they're coming from their home background and that, but also be out proactive and seen in the community and engage in events and all of that, sporting whatever is possible or support in any way, because that's where you get your mutual respect from and that. Get a two-way mutual respect, you're able to earn the kids' trust and generally Indigenous kid would try to complete or do stuff what you ask. What are the traits the best teachers you've seen remote? What kind of things do the best teachers do or say, act or bring to the classroom? You know, sometimes I sound like I repeat myself, but the best things I see from a teacher's perspective who does really well in the school is a teacher that engages in the community and seen outside of the school rather than just seen in school. And when I say that, I mean like get involved in the community events and all that because you know, I keep on repeating it a bit, but once you get that respect from the community, you know, you learn who parents, who's related and all of this, and you connect dots and that when you get out and be seen. You also get to see students in a different light, don't you, when you see them outside the Yeah, 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 you know, because generally you see them in the classroom grumpy because you're getting told to go to school or you know picked up like generally how any kids are but you see them out of school they're happy they're bubbly you know they're hanging off you and that's where you form a better relationship Hmm. so then what are the traits of the worst teachers you've seen remote what do they do say or act Uh, worst teachers are the one that come in and think 
think they know everything and, you know, act like a Sergeant Gilroy, I'll have them in line, you know, they're not going to put it over me. Then within, you know, a week or two, they've resigned and moved on because they've got the wrong attitude. Hmm. Yeah. So how do we build resilience and successful young men? How do we make them strong so they can bounce back and become successful? If you bring most things back to life skills and the reasons behind your why you're trying to teach them this and that. Mentoring and guiding them through and explaining the reasons why you're doing it, why you're trying to teach them and because most of it they don't they don't know why, you know, they're getting taught it. Last question. What do you envision for the future of remote schools, say in ten years? What I envision is teachers that come up and they're only allowed here for four years. I wish teachers that want to stay in remote communities for how long they won't be able to access or be able to stay there because, you know, you're, you know, they're the ones who are passionate and love being there and they've built that rapport and respect in that and it just makes life a lot easier in school. Must be pretty exhausting as a remote person having to constantly um, meet new teachers, induct new teachers, support new teachers. Yeah, you pretty much do it every year. It's not, not complaining about it. And for students building up that trust with new people again every single year. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it gets a bit daunting, you know, we all were kids, oh, well, I don't know what it's like in cities and that, but in, in community basis, you know, you end up seeing, you know, 10 different teachers every year, mm. and it's just rotating through, but and you've got teachers who say they don't want to leave, but they, you know, just saying they get asked, they have to move on. But if they're allowed to stay, and they want to stay, because it's not as if, you know, they're living... You know, they've got cinemas and all of that when they're in remote, remote. And if they've got the rapport and respect to the community kids and, you know, love it there, why not let them be there? So maybe, maybe one of the solutions to that is seeing in 10 years more Aboriginal teachers. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, I was mm. used a bit better, i say, mm. in the classrooms, you know, running classes and lessons, you know, even though they're not getting paid teacher wages and that but you can tell the difference even when I was there I used to run my own classes and that and I enjoyed it and you you know you get a bit of sense of pride out of it mm, and the kids are learning their way well thank you for sharing and being part of our first the remote teacher podcast and before you go make sure you join us on facebook at the remote teacher also on Teachers Pay Teachers for differentiated work packages on novels that are suitable for remote locations, as well as our YouTube channel and our online courses that can help you be a better remote teacher. Until then, see you next time.